0: Well, good morning, IBC family. I love the fact that God is doing tremendous work in so many different areas of our church. He's growing his church as he promises to do. I love the fact that he raises up many of you, actually all of you, but in this case, many of you for the work of service with our kids. And I'm so very grateful for the the ministry that God is using through many of you. Again, it's over 60 volunteers to love on, and to help these kids know the love of Christ. And so thank you for being faithful. Thank you for your willingness. Thank you for answering the call that God has placed on your life. And so I want to let you know that it matters. Sometimes in the moment it doesn't feel like it does probably. Sometimes when kids are being a little kid-like, you're wondering, is anything sinking in? Well, I can tell, at least for my kids, it is. So thank you. You know, I don't know when, about you, but when we were singing that song, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. The one verse that we missed, Pam, was I've got the wonderful love of my verse that redeem me way down in the depths of my heart. Remember that one? We didn't sing that verse. So we'll work on that one, right? Yeah, and I love it. You know, in our Western culture today, I don't think I have to convince you of this, but in our Western culture today, we are extremely blessed. I could also say we are kind of cursed also, in the sense that we have literally everything available to us at the tap of our finger. Even I'm on my phone, which is in my the pew right over there, I got my little Amazon Prime app. All I got to do, if I want something, I think of something, I just pop that little app. I go to the little search part. I type it in, and literally a couple taps, and it's at my front door, sometimes in the same day. It's ridiculous. It's awesome. (laughs) It's dangerous. You know, when we, uh, the fact is, though, we have so many things available to us so quickly And sometimes that can be a really good thing and sometimes that can be a very dangerous thing. Sometimes that can actually work against us because when we have things at our disposal, when we have stuff at the tap of our fingers, when we have something in our heart that says, you should get this, I should want this, or something or someone says something and we can literally get it at a moment's notice and not feel any financial burden in the moment, that can be very, very detrimental even to our lives. Not because the thing in and of itself is necessarily wrong, but it's what's going on in our hearts that potentially is dangerous. You know, when my wife and I, we bought our first home when we, about six months into moving here to Port Angeles, and... Uh, though we did not know this initially, but we found this out after the fact, but when we uh, moved into our home and gotten to know our neighbors, the neighbors next to us on either side of us, uh, they, they filled us in with some of the history of the home we bought, and some of the history in the home we bought was uh, that this, this lady was a hoarder, and some of you might know hoarders, maybe some of you are hoarders, I don't know. But this lady had a lot of stuff. In fact, when we had our furnace fixed, I remember talking to the guy fixing our furnace. I'm like, oh, yeah. He's like, I've been to this house before. And I'm like, you remember this house? He's like, yeah, it was a number of years ago. And I'm like, how do you remember this house? He's like, I couldn't forget this house. And I was like, why is that? And he says, when I walked into this house, I could barely get to the furnace in the basement. I had to walk through walkways, pathways of waist-deep junk just to find the furnace so I never forgot this house in fact when the the owner of this house died and the the sons came in to prepare to to put on the market they had those huge trash bins like the one we had out there they filled three of those with just the junk and that was not including all the stuff that was still new in box a new kitchen was built and actually never used because it was too full. It was unusable. Now, I'm not trying to to throw her under the bus. I'm not at all in any way trying to to discredit her or, or anything like that necessarily. What I'm saying is stuff can have a stranglehold on our lives. We can be so consumed with stuff, and sometimes I envy you Coast Guard families in the room because you Coast Guard families, every three years you get to do this necessary purge Right? You get rid of stuff. And even though you have someone moving your stuff around the countryside, you have to kind of at least take a conscious thought and go, you know, maybe, maybe we don't like this. Maybe we don't need this. Maybe we don't use this. And so you have this opportunity to kind of go through everything. On the other hand, there's all, the rest of us, which have probably been in the same home for many years. And as you've noticed, with, when you're in the same home for many years, you continue to collect and collect so much so that your garage is no longer usable for your car how many of you actually park in your garage how many of you are lying <laughs> i've i've driven by some of your garages when they're open you might want to just keep them closed they're full of stuff. In fact, some of us are probably contemplating this idea. The garage is full. I have to build another garage. Or you pay a, kind of a, the equivalent of a car payment for a storage unit because you have more stuff. And of course, to protect this stuff, we have to buy warranties for our stuff so that we can replace them if they fail before their expiration date. And then we have to buy security cameras to protect our stuff. And then we have to buy insurance to replace our stolen or broken stuff. And then you almost, when you kind of think about it, I know this is somewhat of an exaggeration, but then you think about it, you're like, I spend more time protecting my stuff and more money protecting my stuff than the value of the stuff itself. So is stuff the problem? No. Stuff is just inanimate. Stuff is not wrong. Having stuff is not wrong. Having stuff is not sinful. Having many things and being blessed by God is not a problem. But it can be potentially symptomatic of a problem. In other words, the heart of the matter is really what's going in our heart. The heart of the matter is really the condition of our heart and maybe asking the question why we think we need certain things when in fact we may not need those things. The real concern that we ought to be assessing or evaluating in our lives is, is what is really going in our hearts? What what do we find our security in in life? What do we place our trust ultimately in? Now you recall from the beginning of Matthew six, Pastor Tom he preached on the kind of the first half, and we see that in the first half of Matthew six, on Je- in Jesus' sermon, Jesus is calling out the hypocrisy. He's calling out the false external righteousness of the Pharisees. You see, they were doing the right things for the wrong reasons. And they did it for self-glorifying reasons instead of God-glorifying reasons. So they gave, they fasted, they prayed. All things that we, you and I, ought to do or called to do, yet they did so from a self-serving motivation. And so Jesus says they have the reward. They have the reward, but it's not a reward that lasts. And it is not a reward that actually comes from God the Father. And so our text here this morning, we see that Jesus continues really in the theme of rewards and perspective and he desires that his disciples understand a proper perspective of money and possessions and wealth and what we might summarize as stuff. You see, the Pharisees, though we may not see this in our text here, but we know historically the Pharisees they thought they were blessed by God. They thought they were truly blessed by God and the reason why they thought they were blessed by God was because they were wealthy, because they were rich in material gain. Yet Jesus seeks to correct their incorrect perspective and in essence says true wealth is acquired when one is rich toward the things of God. The person who is truly blessed in this life is the person who uses and evaluates their resources for eternal things the real key verse here in our text here is verse 21 a verse that you have probably heard many 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 times jesus says this for where your treasure is there your heart is also where your treasure is your heart is also now at first read, we might actually conclude this. We might, we might think that Jesus is saying that, wherever, where, that uh, my heart will always follow wherever I put my treasure. So as long as I put my treasure in the right place, therefore my heart will follow. My heart will also be healthy. Now on one hand, this perspective or this theological truth is true. True. It's true in this sense. You see, sometimes we are called to be obedient even though we don't want to be obedient. But it is in our obedience that we experience the joy that follows. It is in our surrender, the surrendering of our will and our desires and our dreams to God that we get to experience the joy and the fulfillment and the peace That obedience provides. In other words, joy of obedience follows the act of obedience. The joy of our obedience is the fruit of our obedience. So on one hand, yes, even though our heart may not say, I love to obey the commands of God, even though we do obey the commands of God, by doing so we experience the joy and the satisfaction and the fulfillment that this obedience brings but this is not what Jesus is talking about here. Even though that is very true, what Jesus is actually teaching us here is that wherever your treasure is, your heart already is. Wherever your treasure is, whatever you value, it, ex- it, it exposes or it, it reveals, it indicates the condition of your heart. It's why we read in Proverbs chapter four, for example, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Or for another example, Jesus says in Matthew 15, the words you speak come from the heart. In other words, everything you do, everything you say, everything you you act upon, everything you think flows from your heart. Your external visible actions are a reflection of what's actually in your heart. Think of it this way. Uh, last year <laughs> Doug, Doug and I got to and Josh got to go on this fun hike. And uh, it was a very adventuresome backpacking trip. And we went off trail and there was many times, thankfully that we didn't have to use the you know the jeep the the compass, a normal compass, we had a a digital compass, and that was very, very, very helpful. But one thing we learn about a compass is a compass, the sole purpose is to help you get your bearings. It's to point you, and to help you identify what is true north and then therefore where you need to go from a, an exact point of reference. The thing about a compass is that it always points to true north. And in a very parallel fashion, we also see that our heart always points to our treasure. Your heart always points to those things you value the most. So we see in our text here this morning that that the true condition of our hearts, the spiritual barometer of our hearts is revealed by what we treasure. It's revealed by what we value most. And in the most practical of ways, we see that our treasure, our values, is, is really exposed by how we spend our time and money. By what we spend our time and money on. By what we say yes and no to. By what you think about and what you plan for regularly. Now I need to kind of give some sort of qualification or clarification We should never conclude for a moment that Jesus is against money and possessions. He's not teaching that wealth and possessions is somehow wrong or sinful. He's not saying that we cannot have good things to enjoy in this life. Even the evil one himself wants you to feel bad about enjoying good things that God brings to you in your life. So you should not for a moment feel guilty for experiencing the blessing of God. But what Jesus does care about is this. He does care about how you think about your wealth. Not the fact that you have it, but how you think about it, how you regard it. What he cares about is how, you, how, how wealth is processed and understood and perceived on a heart level because how you think about your possessions how you think about your wealth communicates two things it communicates what you what's actually in your heart but it also influences how you use your material wealth for eternal gain so the question is for us this morning how should you and I as disciples of Jesus how should you and I use and think about The money and the possessions and really all that we have, how should we use those things? In what way is the proper way to use the things that God has blessed us with richly? And what I believe we see in our text here this morning, the first point I'm going to make is this. Disciples of Jesus think about their wealth, their money, their possessions, everything they own, and use their wealth as an opportunity to make eternal investments. You see, what distinguishes a disciple of Jesus from everybody else is that they see their stuff as an opportunity for eternal investment. That's how a disciple of Jesus views and therefore uses their stuff. And the reason for this, I believe, is a a number of different reasons, but two reasons I'm going to raise here this morning is this. The reason why a disciple of Jesus thinks about their stuff in this way and therefore uses their stuff in this way is because, first and foremost, as we see in the Lord's prayer or the disciple's prayer, our our, our greatest desire is that God's kingdom would come and that God's will would be done. You see, a disciple of Jesus desires the kingdom of God to be fully established. It's already been inaugurated. It has already come. Jesus has said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so the disciple of Jesus longs that it would be fully established. A disciple of Jesus longs for the kingdom of God to be absolutely and 100% fully present now. Secondly, we also see a disciple of Jesus understands that eternal investments means that your investments last forever, whereas earthly investments are only temporary. You see, a disciple of Jesus understands that they came into the world with nothing and that they will also leave the world with nothing. And no amount of investments and no amount of financial gain and no amount of wealth and stuff accumulation, nothing follows. Everything's left on the surface, even though you go six feet down. So Jesus teaches us as disciples to invest in things that last he says, don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but instead collect for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. In other words, a disciple of Jesus puts their, their, their stuff into investments that have eternal dividends. We see that we, we use what God has given us in a way that will reap permanent rewards in heaven. Just recently, um, I... Uh, gained a new financial advisor, and he's in this room this morning, Mr. Joe Force. And one of the things we did when we sat down, because I'm, not, um, I'm very naive when it comes to investments and I don't really know much about it, and I don't read the Wall Street Journal and honestly have no desire to, so... Um, but the fact is, I know it's important to kind of, kind of plan ahead and plan for the end of life. And again, I'll talk about that in just a moment. God is not against that at all. And so I'm sitting down with Joe Forrest and he does this, what's, what we call a risk analysis or a risk assessment. And what we do is what he's trying to do through this kind of tool is he's trying to understand how aggressive or conservative do I want to make my investments? And of course, the, the, the philosophy is this. The more risky the investment, the greater chance of financial gain. Also, the greater chance of losing everything. Now, the more conservative the investment, you won't necessarily gain as much financially, but there's also less risk of losing your finances. So it's kind of a gamble a little bit. I mean, yes, there are, there are, there's a logic to it, there, there is a, but it's still like the, you know, the market changes all the time and of course we know the market runs by fear oftentimes and everything is kind of working and so you're kind of like, okay, so where do I need to put my, my assets and where do I need to help these things grow? And then part of me goes, I don't really want to think about it too much. But Jesus says this to us. He says the best rate of return on your stuff. The best rate of return on your money and wealth is investing it in the things that matter in eternity. And you know what? There's no risk at all. Not only is it the best rate of return, but there's no risk. In fact, there's an absolute 100% guarantee that whatever you invest into eternity, whatever you use on here, on earth for God, is actually growing eternal deposits in heaven. As one person said, he said that what I kept for myself I lost, but what I gave to God I kept. Now once again, this does not mean that Christians or disciples of Jesus should not plan for a rainy day. This doesn't mean that we don't have a retirement account. It doesn't mean that it's, not, it's, that it's wrong to have those things. It's okay to do those things. That's being prudent. There are other scriptures that we could turn to as to why have, you know, planning in that way is wise. But again, Jesus, though he's not against wealth and possessions... What he is concerned about is what wealth and possessions does in our hearts. He cares about the kind of attachment that wealth and possessions and stuff can have in our hearts. And he desires that we have, that we live a life in light of eternity. He desires that we live in light of and in really an anticipation of eternity. So in the most practical ways, he says, "Take your money, take your stuff, take your possessions and view it in this way. Use it. Invest it in things that are eternal, because when you go to heaven, when you're in the presence of God, all those investments are there waiting for you. All those rewards are there waiting for you, and they will last forever." It sort of begs the question, however, how do we know what investments are eternal? How do we know what is, an, what is actually an eternal investment? I know Pastor Mike has said this too many times and I couldn't agree more. In fact, even at my, my interview as a pastor, this came up. There are three things that are eternal in this life. God, his word, and people. Everything else comes and goes. God, his word, and people are eternal. And so what I believe Jesus is telling us or teaching us here in this passage is this. The greatest use of your possessions, of your money, of your wealth, of your stuff is when you invest it in people for the glory of God. In fact, if I could just say it in this way, material possessions are only as valuable as the people that we bless with them. Your material possessions, your material stuff, your money, your, everything you have in this life are, is only as valuable as the people that you bless with. With them. The fact is, this is how a citizen of the kingdom thinks and acts. This is how a disciple of Jesus thinks and acts. This is how a citizen of the kingdom lives in this world. We seek to bless other people for the glory of God, we seek to to view and evaluate our stuff. As an opportunity, not as a way of hoarding, not a way as of collecting, not as a just, it's just me and my life and what I worked hard for, but we see this as an opportunity going, how do I use this to invest in things that matter for eternity? How can this carry on forever? I think an illustration of this is seen in Acts chapter 2. The church has begun. We see that thousands of people are coming to faith in Christ, and these are people from all kinds, all walks of life, all um, economic stages. Some are poor, some are wealthy. There's many between. And what we see is that no matter who had a lot and who had a little, we see that those who had a lot, those who were blessed in this life uh, from an earthly perspective, they held on to their stuff very open-handedly. In other words, if someone had need, they had the audacity to sell their stuff and give the money to the person who had need, even people they didn't even know. Who does that? I mean, it's one thing to love somebody that we, that we hold dear in our hearts, but these people are selling their money and giving it to the, to the church leaders, and the church leaders are distributing to people that they don't even know that are professing faith in Jesus Christ. Who does that? Disciples of Jesus do that. I'm not talking about socialism or communism here. I'm not talking about equal distribution. I'm talking about citizens of heaven's kingdom seeing their stuff rightly viewing and, or regarding all their stuff and their wealth from an eternal perspective. So the question that I pray that you reflect on is how do you view your stuff? If you were to take inventory of all that you have in this life, how do you view it? How do you regard it? How do you use it? Because how you think about it influences how you use it. And how you use it reflects what's in your heart. Don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break and steal, but collect for yourself treasures in heaven where moth or nor, nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, Jesus continues on to reinforce what he has just taught by, giving, by offering really two metaphors for us. The first metaphor that he, that he offers is, really has to do with our vision. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Just for the sake of clarity, what Jesus is getting at here, what he's seeking to teach us here, what he's reinforcing here is this. He's, he's basically using the eye as a, as a, as a metaphor to, to drive home the point he has just made in regards to our possessions and, and really what's going on in our heart. And what he says is that really a a healthy, clear eye has a singular focus. A clear eye is not distorted. I know this is not a knock, just so you know. But the older you get, the eyes become dim. I'm so thankful, I know my parents are, for cataract surgery. My dad doesn't even wear glasses anymore. And he used to do this thing all the time, you know? And now he doesn't even wear glasses. It's amazing. All the distortion has been taken away. Everything that was distorting his vision, getting in the way of him seeing clearly, has been removed. And what Jesus is teaching us here is that a clear eye, a healthy eye, has a singular focus on the things of God, the things of the kingdom. They are focused on the things that matter for eternity at all times. But an unhealthy eye, on their other hand, has, is conflicted or is divided. It is distorted. In other words, it's not as clear as it ought to be. The house that we just moved into, if you go downstairs, you'll notice that no matter how much you clean the windows in the daylight basement, they still look dirty. And the reason for that is because they are failed. There's what's called failed windows. And no matter how much you clean on either side of it, the the seal on the window is gone, and therefore there's all kinds of condensation and dirt inside of it. And so although we can still technically see out, and although it still technically allows light in, it's not as clear as it could be or should be. And what Jesus is reinforcing here for us is this, an eye that is unhealthy is an eye that is distorted, it is divided, it is conflicted, because an eye that is unhealthy is focusing on both God as well as the things of this world. It's an eye that seeks to live for the glory of God but at the same time an eye that seeks to live for the glory of oneself. It's an eye that seeks to pursue the things of God but at the same time seeks to also accumulate wealth and possessions. In other words, they're living for also for this kingdom. And so we see that this, there's a conflict here. There's a duplicity of focus or of mindset here. We see that they person with an unhealthy eye wants both the kingdom of god and the kingdom of this world and jesus says you can't have both because if you think you can how great is that darkness how deep is that darkness again jesus gives a, a, us another metaphor here to drive home the point He says, no one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. Once again, we see that a disciple of Jesus cannot be devoted to both God and money. I believe a great illustration of this is in Matthew chapter 19, where we see the rich young ruler, he he approaches Jesus, right, He says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, he basically lists a whole list of commands out of the Ten Commandments, and he says, all these things I have done. Now, that's a whole other sermon because actually he's guilty of all those things. But in his mind, he's actually innocent, that he's actually kept the commands, the law of God. And so Jesus, in his intent, in his endeavor to get at the heart of the matter, he says this, go and sell everything you have. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Now, did Jesus really expect this rich young ruler to sell everything he had? Was that really what he was expecting? I don't think so. I think what he was seeking to do was exposing where his heart was really at. Because as we see, the rich young ruler, when he hears those words, he walks away sad because he was a man of great wealth. And so Jesus, in the context of what it means to follow him, what Jesus is seeking to reinforce in his ministry and what we even see reinforced in this sermon is that a disciple of Jesus has a singular focus on the things of God. A disciple of Jesus is not devoted to both God and anything else. A disciple of Jesus cares about the things of God and only the things of God. As one pastor and author titled his book, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the theological Equation that we need to remember every day Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, the things that we are consumed by in this life are not what is seen horizontally, but what you see horizontally is regarded or viewed as an opportunity to invest in the things that matter for eternity. So let me give you two points of application here for us this, this morning. First of all, IBC family, remember this. Your stuff, your money, your possessions, everything you have now, no matter how much you have, no matter how little you have, is all a means to be used for the kingdom of God. Everything you have is a means to be used for the kingdom of God. Now I understand the political environment that we're in. I understand that all the rich people are supposed to pay out for the the poor people. But Jesus doesn't dismiss anybody. He says, he's, he's addressing everybody, even those who don't think they have a whole lot. All followers of Jesus, no matter what they have, are called to view or regard their stuff as an opportunity to invest in the things of eternity. Even the widow, we don't know her name, but she is famous. She gave all that she had, two cents, two pennies. My kids have given more than that. Yet she gave everything, and Jesus praises her for it. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6. He says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good, that they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. We see that true life, true joy, true satisfaction, true fulfillment is experienced when we are generous, when we regard and when we use our things for the glory of God. I wanna highlight somebody. He may be in here right now or may not be, I don't know. I was talking to a dear brother, Fred Way, about a week ago. And he was just telling me about just the different things he has. And he, was, he brought over just these massive, giant heads of broccoli. And you think I'm exaggerating. I'm not. They were this big. And cauliflower, they're huge. We've been eating broccoli every day for over a week. And he was just, he's like, hey, I got this stuff, I got this stuff, and he was showing me around his, his shed there, and he's like, I got this, and I always have a couple extra of these for whoever needs it, and, and I also just like giving stuff away, and he's like, I, people have been encouraging me, like, you should just sell this stuff, you could make money off this stuff, you could do all these things, and he's like, I just like to give it away. I'd rather bless people with it. And I'll be honest, it convicted me. Because I know sometimes deep down in my heart, I can nickel and dime things going, I could probably get a few bucks out of this. A few bucks? When I could bless someone for eternity, and God is and going looking like, yes, bless this person. Just give it to them. I give it to you. Now you give it to them. Why would I want? Why would I miss out on a blessing that God has for me, an investment that lasts for eternity, for a few measly bucks? I'm not against your garage sales. That's not what I'm getting at. But maybe you use the proceeds from your garage sale to support someone on Kenya Igniter. Maybe you see some of your stuff as an opportunity to invest in those things that will carry on into eternity. Let me say one other second point of application. Understand that the time that God has given you on earth is an opportunity to invest in the kingdom of God. Not only is money, does money have value, but time is also a valuable commodity to us. How are you using your time to invest in those things that matter for eternity? The fact is, this kind of life, this, this way of life is only generated It's only encouraged, it only compels you when you think about this life through the lens of eternity. I love that song we sang just prior to me coming up. When it's all about Jesus, when it's all said and done, this world will fade away and God in his glory will come and establish Fully and completely, a new heaven and a new earth, one that will not fade away, in which we are his children and we are enveloped in an uncorruptible body, in which the family of God is perfectly united. No more strife, no more pain no more ailments, no more anything, but we are all glorifying God. Why wouldn't you want to invest in that reality? So brothers and sisters, may we see everything in light of eternity. May we adopt the words of what Paul says in Colossians chapter three when he says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of of heaven. The word is set is to fix your eyes on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. How are you using? Everything that God has given you for his glory and for eternity.